0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com. Section 1
1: of Visible and Invisible. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recording by Andy Sames Visible and Invisible by E. F. Benson, And the Dead Spake There is not in all London a quieter spot, or one apparently, more withdrawn from the heat and bustle of life, than Newsome Terrace. It is a cul-de-sac, for at the upper end the roadway between its two lines of square compact little residences is brought to an end by a high brick wall while at the lower end the only access to it is through newsome square that small discreet oblong of georgian houses a relic of the time when kensington was a suburban village sundered from the metropolis by a stretch of pastures stretching to the river both square and terrace are most inconveniently situated for those whose ideal environment includes a rank of taxicabs immediately opposite their door a spate of buses roaring down the street and a procession of underground trains accessible by a station a few yards away shaking and rattling the cutlery and silver on their dining-tables in consequence newsome terrace had come two years ago To be inhabited by leisurely and retired folk, or by those who wish to pursue their work in quiet and tranquillity. Children with hoops and scooters are phenomena rarely encountered in the terrace, and dogs are equally uncommon. In front of each of the couple of dozen houses of which the terrace is composed lies a little square of railinged garden, in which you may often see the middle-aged or elderly mistress of the residence horticulturally employed by five o'clock of a winter's evening the pavements will generally be empty of all passengers except the policeman who with felted step at intervals throughout the night peers with his bull's-eye into these small front gardens and never finds anything more suspicious there than an early crocus or an aconite for by the time it is dark the inhabitants of the terrace have got themselves home where behind drawn curtains and bolted shutters they will pass a domestic and uninterrupted evening no funeral up to the time i speak of had i ever seen leave the terrace no marriage party had strewed its pavements with confetti and perambulators were unknown it and its inhabitants seemed to be quietly mellowing like bottles of sound wine no doubt there was stored within them the sunshine and summer youth of long past and now dozing in a cool place they waited for the turn of the key in the cellar door and the entry of one who would draw them forth and see what they were worth yet after the time of which i shall now speak i have never passed down its pavement without wondering whether each house so seemingly tranquil is not like some dynamo, softly and smoothly bringing into being vast and terrible forces, such as those I once saw at work in the last house at the upper end of the terrace, the quietest, you would have said, of all the row. Had you observed it with continuous scrutiny for all the length of a summer day, it is quite possible that you might have only seen issue from it in the morning an elderly woman whom you would have rightly conjectured to be the housekeeper, with her basket for marketing on her arm, who returned an hour later, except for her the entire day might often pass without there being either ingress or egress from the door. Occasionally a middle-aged man, lean and wiry, came swiftly down the pavement, but his exit was by no means a daily occurrence, and, indeed, when he did emerge, He broke the almost universal usage of the terrace. For his appearances took place, when such there were, between nine and ten in the evening. At that hour, sometimes he would come round to my house in Newsome Square to see if I was at home and inclined for a talk a little later on. For the sake of air and exercise, he would then have an hour's tramp through the lit and noisy streets and return about ten still pale and unflushed for one of those talks which grew to have an absorbing fascination for me more rarely through the telephone i proposed that i should drop in on him this i did not often do since i found that if he did not come out himself it implied that he was busy with some investigation and though he made me welcome i could easily see that he burned for my departure so that he might get busy with his batteries and pieces of tissue hot on the track of discoveries that never yet had presented themselves to the mind of man as coming within the horizon of possibility my last sentence may have led the reader to guess that i am indeed speaking of none other than that recluse and mysterious physicist sir james horton with whose death a hundred half-hewn avenues into the dark forest from which life comes must wait completion till another pioneer as bold as he takes up the axe which hitherto none but himself has been able to wield probably there was never a man to whom humanity owed more and of whom humanity knew less he seemed utterly independent of the race to whom though indeed with no service of love he devoted himself for years he lived aloof and apart in his house at the end of the terrace men and women were to him like fossils to the geologist things to be tapped and hammered and dissected and studied with a view not only to the reconstruction of past ages but to construction in the future It is known, for instance, that he made an artificial being formed of the tissue still living of animals lately killed with the brain of an ape and the heart of a bullock and a sheep's thyroid and so forth. Of that I can give no first-hand account. Horton, it is true, told me something about it and in his will directed that a certain memoranda on the subject should on his death be sent to me. But on the bulky envelope there is the direction not to be opened till January nineteen twenty five. He spoke with some reserve and so I think with a slight horror at the strange things which had happened on the completion of this creature. It evidently made him uncomfortable to talk about it, and for that reason I fancy he put what was then a rather remote date to the day when his record should reach my eye finally in these preliminaries for the last five years before the war he had scarcely entered for the sake of companionship any house other than his own and mine ours was a friendship dating from school days which he had never suffered to drop entirely but i doubt if in those years he spoke except on matters of business to half a dozen other people He had already retired from surgical practice in which his skill was unapproached, and most completely now did he avoid the slightest intercourse with his colleagues, whom he regarded as ignorant pedants, without courage or the rudiments of knowledge. Now and then he would write an epoch-making little monograph, which he flung to them like a bone to a starving dog, but for the most part utterly absorbed in his own investigations he left them to grope along unaided he frankly told me that he enjoyed talking to me about such subjects since i was utterly unacquainted with them it clarified his mind to be obliged to put his theories and guesses and confirmations with such simplicity that any one could understand them i well remember his coming in to see me on the evening of the fourth of august Nineteen fourteen. So war has broken out, he said, and the streets are impassable with excited crowds. Odd, isn't it? Just as if each of us already was not a far more murderous battlefield than any which can be conceived between warring nations. How's that? said I. Let me try to put it plainly, though it isn't that I want to talk about. Your blood is one eternal battlefield. It is full of armies, eternally marching and counter marching. As long as the armies friendly to you are in a superior position, you remain in good health, if a detachment of microbes that, if suffered to establish themselves, would give you a cold in the head, entrenched themselves in your mucous membrane. The commander in chief sends a regiment down and drives them out. He doesn't give his orders from your brain, mind you. "'Those aren't his headquarters, for your brain knows nothing about the landing of the enemy till they have made good their position and given you a cold.' He paused a moment. "'There isn't one headquarters inside you,' he said. "'There are many. For instance, I killed a frog this morning—at least most people would say I killed it. But had I killed it, though its head lay in one place and its severed body in another? Not a bit.' I had only killed a piece of it, for I opened the body afterwards and took out the heart, which I put in a sterilised chamber of suitable temperature, so that it wouldn't get cold or be infected by any microbe. That was about twelve o'clock today, and when I came out just now the heart was beating still. It was alive, in fact. That's full of suggestions, you know. Come and see it. The terrace had been stirred into volcanic activity by the news of war. The vendor of some late edition had penetrated into its quietude, and there were half a dozen parlour maids fluttering about like black and white moths. But once inside Horton's door, isolation as of an arctic night seemed to close round me. He had forgotten his latch key, but his housekeeper then newly come to him who became so regular and familiar a figure in the terrace, must have heard his step. For, before he rang the bell, she had opened the door, and stood with his forgotten latch-key in her hand. "'Thanks, Mrs. Gabriel,' said he. And without a sound the door shut behind us. Both her name and face, as reproduced in some illustrated daily paper, seemed familiar, rather terribly familiar. But before I had time to grope for the association, Horton supplied it. Tried for the murder of her husband six months ago, he said. Odd case. The point is that she is the one and perfect housekeeper. I once had four servants and everything was all mucky, as we used to say at school. Now I live in amazing comfort and propriety with one. She does everything. She is cook, valet, housemaid, butler and won't have any one to help her no doubt she killed her husband but she planned it so well that she could not be convicted she told me quite frankly who she was when i engaged her of course i remembered the whole trial vividly now her husband a morose quarrelsome fellow tipsy as often as sober had according to the defence cut his own throat while shaving according to the prosecution she had done that for him there was the usual discrepancy of evidence as to whether the wound could have been self-inflicted and the prosecution tried to prove that the face had been lathered after his throat had been cut so singular an exhibition of forethought and nerve had hurt rather than helped their case and after prolonged deliberation on the part of the jury she had been acquitted yet not less singular was horton's selection of a probable murderess however efficient as housekeeper he anticipated this reflection apart from the wonderful comfort of having a perfectly appointed and absolutely silent house he said i regard mrs gabriel as a sort of insurance against my being murdered if you had been tried for your life you would take every especial care not to find yourself in suspicious proximity to a murdered body again. No more deaths in your house, if you could help it. Come through to my laboratory, and look at my little instance of life after death. Certainly it was amazing to see that little piece of tissue still pulsating with what must be called life. It contracted and expanded faintly indeed, but perceptibly. Though for nine hours now— It had been severed from the rest of the organisation. All by itself it went on living, and if the heart could go on living with nothing, you would say, to feed and stimulate its energy, there must also, so reasoned Horton, reside in all the other vital organs of the body, other independent focuses of life. "'Of course a severed organ like that,' he said, "'will run down quicker than if it had the cooperation of the others.' and presently i shall apply a gentle electric stimulus to it if i can keep that glass bowl under which it beats at the temperature of a frog's body in sterilised air i don't see why it should not go on living food of course there's the question of feeding it do you see what that opens up in the way of surgery imagine a shop with glass cases containing healthy organs taken from the dead say a man dies of pneumonia He should, as soon as ever the breath is out of his body, be dissected, and though they would, of course, destroy his lungs, as they will be full of pneumococci, his liver and digestive organs are probably healthy. Take them out, keep them in a sterilised atmosphere, with the temperature at 98.4, and sell the liver, let us say, to another poor devil who has cancer there. Fit him with a new healthy liver, eh? "'And insert the brain of someone who has died of heart disease into the skull of a congenital idiot?' I asked. "'Yes, perhaps, but the brain's tiresomely complicated in its connections, and the joining up of the nerves, you know. "'Surgery will have to learn a lot before it fits new brains in. "'And the brain has got such a lot of functions. "'All thinking, all inventing seem to belong to it, though, as you have seen—' The heart can get on quite well without it, but there are other functions of the brain I want to study first. I've been trying some experiments already. He made some little adjustment to the flame of the spirit-lamp, which kept at the right temperature the water that surrounded the sterilised receptacle, in which the frog's heart was beating. "'Start with the more simple and mechanical uses of the brain,' he said. "'Primarily it is a sort of record office.' a diary. Say that I wrap your knuckles with that ruler. What happens? The nerves there send a message to the brain, of course, saying, how can I put it most simply, saying, somebody is hurting me? And the eye sends another, saying, I perceive a ruler hitting my knuckles, and the ear sends another, saying, I hear the rap of it. But leaving all that alone, what else happens? Why, the brain records it it makes a note of your knuckles having been hit he had been moving about the room as he spoke taking off his coat and waistcoat and putting on in their place a thin black dressing-gown and by now he was seated in his favourite attitude cross-legged on the hearthrug looking like some magician or perhaps the affrit which a magician of black arts had caused to appear he was thinking intently now passing through his fingers his string of amber beads and talking more to himself than to me and how does it make that note he went on why in the manner in which phonograph records are made there are millions of minute dots depressions pockmarks in your brain which certainly record what you remember what you have enjoyed or disliked or done or said the surface of the brain anyhow is large enough to furnish writing-paper for the record of all these things, of all your memories. If the impression of an experience has not been acute, the dot is not sharply impressed, and the record fades. In other words, you come to forget it. But if it has been vividly impressed, the record is never obliterated. Mrs. Gabriel, for instance, won't lose the impression of how she lathered her husband's face after she had cut his throat that's to say if she did it now do you see what i'm driving at of course you do there is stored within a man's head the complete record of all the memorable things he has done and said there are all his thoughts there and his speeches and most well marked of all his habitual thoughts and the things he has often said for habit there is reason to believe wears a sort of rut in the brain so that the life principle, whatever it is, as it gropes and steals about the brain, is continually stumbling into it. There's your record, your gramophone plate, all ready. What we want, and what I'm trying to arrive at, is a needle which, as it traces its minute way over these dots, will come across words or sentences which the dead have uttered, and will reproduce them. My word, what judgment books! What a resurrection! Here, in this withdrawn situation, no remotest echo of the excitement which was seething through the streets penetrated. Through the open window there came in only the tide of the midnight silence, but from somewhere closer at hand, through the wall surely of the laboratory, there came a low, somewhat persistent murmur. Perhaps our needle, unhappily not yet invented— as it passed over the record of speech in the brain, might induce even facial expression, he said. Enjoyment or horror might even pass over dead features. There might be gestures and movements even, as the words were reproduced in our gramophone of the dead. Some people, when they want to think intensely, walk about. Some, there's an instance of it audible now, talk to themselves aloud he held up his finger for silence yes that's mrs gabriel he said she talks to herself by the hour together she's always done that she tells me i shouldn't wonder if she has plenty to talk about it was that night when first of all the notion of intense activity going on below the placid house fronts of the terrace occurred to me none looked more quiet than this and yet there was seething here a volcanic activity and intensity of living both in the man who sat cross-legged on the floor and behind that voice just audible through the partition wall but i thought of that no more for horton began speaking of the brain gramophone again were it possible to trace those infinitesimal docks and pockmarks in the brain by some needle exquisitely fine it might follow that by the aid of some such contrivance as translated the pockmarks on a gramophone record into sound some audible rendering of speech might be recovered from the brain of a dead man it was necessary so he pointed out to me that this strange gramophone record should be new it must be that of one lately dead for corruption and decay would soon obliterate these infinitesimal markings he was not of opinion that unspoken thought could be thus recovered the utmost he hoped for from his pioneering work was to be able to recapture actual speech especially when such speech had habitually dwelt on one subject and thus had worn a rut on that part of the brain known as the speech centre let me get for instance he said The brain of a railway porter newly dead who has been accustomed for years to call out the name of a station and i do not despair of hearing his voice through my gramophone trumpet or again given that mrs gabriel in all her interminable conversations with herself talks about one subject i might in similar circumstances recapture what she had been constantly saying Of course, my instrument must be of a power and delicacy still unknown, one of which the needle can trace the minutest irregularities of surface, and of which the trumpet must be of enormous magnifying power, able to translate the smallest whisper into a shout. But just as a microscope will show you the details of an object invisible to the eye, so there are instruments which act in the same way on sound here for instance is one of remarkable magnifying power try it if you like he took me over to a table on which was standing an electric battery connected with a round steel globe out of the side of which sprang a gramophone trumpet of curious construction he adjusted the battery and directed me to click my fingers quite gently opposite an aperture in the globe and the noise ordinarily scarcely audible resounded through the room like a thunderclap something of that sort might permit us to hear the record on a brain he said after this night my visits to horton became far more common than they have hitherto been having once admitted me into the region of his strange explorations he seemed to welcome me there partly as he had said it clarified his own thought to put it into simple language partly as he subsequently admitted he was beginning to penetrate into such lonely fields of knowledge by paths so utterly untrodden that even he the most aloof and independent of mankind wanted some human presence near him despite his
0: Gravis or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com.
1: Utter indifference to the issues of war, for, in this regard, issues far more crucial demanded his energies. He offered himself as surgeon to a London hospital for operations on the brain, and his services, naturally, were welcomed, for none brought knowledge or skill like his to such work occupied all day he performed miracles of healing with bold and dexterous excisions which none but he would have dared to attempt he would operate often successfully for lesions that seemed certainly fatal and all the time he was learning he refused to accept any salary he only asked in cases where he had removed pieces of brain matter to take these away in order by further examination and dissection to add to the knowledge and manipulative skill which he devoted to the wounded he wrapped these morsels in sterilized lint and took them back to the terrace in a box electrically heated to maintain the normal temperature of a man's blood his fragment might then so he reasoned keep some sort of independent life of its own even as the severed heart of a frog had continued to beat for hours without connection to the rest of the body Then, for half the night, he would continue to work on these sundered pieces of tissue, scarcely dead, which his operations during the day had given him. Simultaneously he was busy over the needle that must be of such infinite delicacy. One evening, fatigued with a long day's work, I had just heard, with a certain tremor of uneasy anticipation, the whistles of warning which heralded an air-raid, when my telephone-bell rang. My servants, according to custom, had already betaken themselves to the cellar, and I went to see what the summons was, determined in any case not to go out in the streets. I recognised Horton's voice. "'I want you at once,' he said. "'But the warning whistles have gone,' said I. "'And I don't like showers of shrapnel.' "'Oh, never mind that,' said he. "'You must come.' I'm so excited that I distrust the evidence of my own ears. I want a witness. Just come. He did not pause for my reply, for I heard the click of the receiver going back into its place. Clearly he assumed that I was coming, and that, I suppose, had the effect of suggestion on my mind. I told myself that I would not go, but in a couple of minutes his certainty that I was coming, coupled with the prospect of being interested in something else than air raids made me fidget in my chair, and eventually go to the street door and look out. The moon was brilliantly bright, the square quite empty, and far away the coughings of very distant guns. Next moment, almost against my will, I was running down the deserted pavements of Newsome Terrace. My ring at his bell was answered by Horton before Mrs. Gabriel could come to the door, and he positively dragged me in. "'I shan't tell you a word of what I am doing,' He said, I want you to tell me what you hear. Come into the laboratory. The remote guns were silent again as I sat myself, as directed, in a chair close to the gramophone trumpet. But suddenly, through the wall, I heard the familiar mutter of Mrs. Gabriel's voice. Horton, already busy with his battery, sprang to his feet. That won't do, he said. I want absolute silence. He went out of the room, and I heard him calling to her. While he was gone I observed more closely what was on the table. Battery, round steel globe, and gramophone trumpet were there, and some sort of needle on a spiral steel spring, linked up with the battery and the glass vessel in which I had seen the frog's heart beat. In it now there lay a fragment of grey matter. Horton came back in a minute or two and stood in the middle of the room listening. "'That's better,' he said now i want you to listen at the mouth of the trumpet i'll answer any questions afterwards with my ear turned to the trumpet i could see nothing of what he was doing and i listened till the silence became a rustling in my ears then suddenly that rustling ceased for it was overscored by a whisper which undoubtedly came from the aperture on which my aural attention was fixed it was no more than the faintest murmur and though no words were audible, it had to be the timbre of a human voice. "'Well, do you hear anything?' asked Horton. "'Yes, something very faint, scarcely audible. "'Describe it,' said he. "'Somebody whispering. "'I'll try a fresh place,' said he. The silence descended again. The mutter of the distant guns was still mute, and some slight creaking from my shirt-front as I breathed alone broke it. And when the whispering from the gramophone trumpet began again this time much louder than it had been before it was as if the speaker still whispering had advanced a dozen yards but still blurred and indistinct more unmistakable too was it that the whisper was that of a human voice and every now and then whether fancifully or not i thought i caught a word or two for a moment it was silent altogether and then with a sudden inkling of what i was listening to i heard something begin to sing though the words were still inaudible there was melody and the tune was tipperary from that convolvus shaped trumpet there came two bars of it and what do you hear now cried horton with a crack of exultation in his voice singing singing that's the tune they all sang fine music from that dead man encore you say yes wait a second and he'll sing it again for you confound it i can't get on to the place ah i've got it listen again surely that was the strangest manner of song ever yet heard on the earth this melody from the brain of the dead horror and fascination strove within me and i suppose the first for the moment prevailed for with a shudder i jumped up stop it i said it's terrible his face thin and eager gleamed in the strong ray of the lamp which he had placed close to him his hand was on the metal rod from which depended the spiral spring and the needle which just rested on that fragment of grey stuff which i had seen in the glass vessel yes i am going to stop it now he said or the germs will be getting at my gramophone record or the record will get cold see i spray it with carbolic vapour I put it back into its nice warm bed. It will sing to us again. But terrible? What do you mean by terrible? Indeed, when he asked that, I scarcely knew myself what I meant. I had been witness to a new marvel of science, as wonderful, perhaps, as any that had ever astounded the beholder, and my nerves, these childish whimpers, had cried out at the darkness and the profundity. But the horror diminished. The fascination increased as he quite shortly told me the history of this phenomenon he had attended that day and operated upon a young soldier in whose brain was embedded a piece of shrapnel the boy was in extremis but horton had hoped for the possibility of saving him to extract the shrapnel was the only chance and this involved the cutting away of a piece of brain known as the speech centre and taking from it what was embedded there but the hope was not realized and two hours later the boy died it was to this fragment of brain that when horton returned home he had applied the needle of his gramophone and had obtained the faint whisperings which had caused him to ring me up so that he might have a witness of his wonder witness i had been not to these whisperings alone but to the fragment of singing and this is but the first step on the new road said he who knows where it may lead or to what new temple of knowledge it may not be the avenue well it is late i shall do no more to-night what about the raid by the way to my amazement i saw that the time was verging on midnight two hours had elapsed since he let me in at his door they had passed like a couple of minutes next morning some neighbours spoke of the prolonged firing that had gone on of which i had been wholly unconscious week after week horton worked on this new road of research perfecting the sensitiveness i can't say it perfecting the sensitiveness and subtlety of the needle and by vastly increasing the power of his batteries enlarging the magnifying power of his trumpet many and many an evening during the next year did i listen to voices that were dumb in death and the sounds which had been blurred and unintelligible mutterings in the earlier experiments developed as the delicacy of his mechanical devices increased into coherence and clear articulation it was no longer necessary to impose silence on mrs gabriel when the gramophone was at work for now the voice we listened to had risen to the pitch of ordinary human utterance while as for the faithfulness and individuality of these records striking testimony was given more than once by some living friend of the dead who without knowing what he was about to hear recognized the tones of the speaker more than once also mrs gabriel bringing in siphons and whisky provided us with three glasses for she had heard so she told us three different voices in talk But for the present, no fresh phenomenon occurred. Horton was but perfecting the mechanism of his previous discovery and, rather grudging the time, was scribbling at a monograph, which presently he would toss to his colleagues, concerning the results he had already obtained. And then, even while Horton was on the threshold of new wonders which he had already foreseen and spoken of as theoretically possible, there came an evening of marvel and of swift catastrophe. I had dined with him that day, Mrs. Gabriel deftly serving the meal that she had so daintily prepared, and towards the end, as she was clearing the table for our dessert, she stumbled, I supposed on a loose edge of carpet, quickly recovering herself, but instantly Horton checked some half-finished sentence, and turned to her. "'You're all right, Mrs. Gabriel,' he asked quickly yes sir thank you said she and went on with her serving as i was saying began horton again but his attention clearly wandered and without concluding his narrative he relapsed into silence till mrs gabriel had given us our coffee and left the room i am sadly afraid that my domestic felicity may be disturbed he said mrs gabriel had an epileptic fit yesterday and she confessed when she recovered that she had been subject to them when a child and since then had occasionally experienced them. "'Dangerous, then?' I asked. "'In themselves, not in the least,' said he. "'If she was sitting in her chair or lying in bed when one occurred, there would be nothing to trouble about. But if one occurred while she was cooking my dinner, or beginning to come downstairs, she might fall into the fire or tumble down the whole flight. We'll hope no such deplorable calamity will happen. Now, if you finish your coffee, let us go into the laboratory.' Not that I've got anything very interesting in the way of new records, but I've introduced a second battery with a very strong induction coil into my apparatus. I find that if I link it up with my record, given that the record is a—a a fresh one—it stimulates certain nerve-centres. It's odd, isn't it, that the same forces which so encouraged the dead to live would certainly encourage the living to die if a man received the full current? one has to be careful in handling it yes and what then you ask the night was very hot and he threw the windows wide before he settled himself cross-legged on the floor i'll answer your question for you he said though i believe we've talked of it before supposing i had not a fragment of brain tissue only but a whole head let us say or best of all a complete corpse i think i could expect to produce more than mere speech through the gramophone the dead lips themselves perhaps might utter
2: god what's that
1: from close outside at the bottom of the stairs leading from the dining-room which we had just quitted to the laboratory where we now sat there came a crash of glass followed by the fall as of something heavy which bumped from step to step and was finally flung on the threshold against the door with the sound as of knuckles rapping at it, and demanding admittance. Horton sprang up and threw the door open, and there lay half inside the room, half on the landing outside, the body of Mrs. Gabriel. Round her were splinters of broken bottles and glasses, and from a cut in her forehead, as she lay ghastly with face upturned, the blood trickled into her thick grey hair. Horton was on his knees beside her, dabbing his handkerchief on her forehead. "'Ah! that's not serious,' he said. "'There's neither vein nor artery-cut. I'll just bind that up first. He tore his handkerchief into strips which he tied together, and made a dexterous bandage covering the lower part of her forehead, but leaving her eyes unobscured. They stared with a fixed meaningless steadiness, and he scrutinised them closely. "'But there's worse yet!' he said there's been some severe blow on the head help me to carry her into the laboratory get round to her feet and lift her underneath the knees when i am ready there now put your arm right under her and carry her her head swung limply back as he lifted her shoulders and he propped it up against his knee where it mutely nodded and bowed as his leg moved as if in silent assent to what we were doing and the mouth at the extremity of which there had gathered a little lather, lolled open. He still supported her shoulders, as I fetched a cushion on which to place her head, and presently she was lying close to the low table, on which stood the gramophone of the dead. Then, with light deft fingers, he passed his hands over her skull, pausing as he came to the spot just above and behind her right ear twice and again his fingers groped and lightly pressed while with shut eyes and concentrated attention he interpreted what his trained touch revealed a skull is broken into fragments just there he said in the middle there is a piece completely severed from the rest and the edges of the cracked pieces must be pressing on her brain her right arm was lying palm upwards on the floor and with one hand he felt her wrist with finger-tips "'No sign of a pulse,' he said. "'She's dead in the ordinary sense of the word. "'But life persists in an extraordinary manner, "'you may remember. "'She can't be wholly dead. "'No one is wholly dead in a moment, "'unless every organ is blown to bits. "'But she soon will be dead, "'if we don't relieve the pressure on the brain. "'That's the first thing to be done. "'While I'm busy at that, "'shut the window, will you, "'and make up the fire. "'In this sort of case the vital heat,' whatever that is leaves the body very quickly make the room as hot as you can fetch an oil-stove and turn on the electric radiator and stoke up a roaring fire the hotter the room is the more slowly will the heat of life leave her already he had opened his cabinet of surgical instruments and taken out of it two drawers full of bright steel which he laid on the floor beside her i heard the grating chink of scissors severing her long grey hair and as i busied myself with laying and lighting the fire in the hearth and kindling the oil-stove which i found by horton's directions in the pantry i saw that his lancet was busy on the exposed skin he had placed some vaporizing spray heated by a spirit-lamp close to her head and as he worked its fizzling nozzle filled the air with some clean and aromatic odour now and then he threw out an order bring me that electric lamp on the long cord he said "'I haven't got enough light. Don't look at what I'm doing if you're squeamish, for if it makes you feel faint I shan't be able to attend to you.' I suppose that violent interest in what he was doing overcame any qualm that I might have had, for I looked quite unflinching over his shoulder as I moved the lamp about, till it was in such a place that it threw its beam directly into a dark hole at the edge of which depended a flap of skin.' into this he put his forceps and as he withdrew them he grasped a piece of blood-stained bone that's better he said and the room's warming up well but there's no sign of pulse yet go on stoking will you till the thermometer on the wall there registers a hundred degrees when next on my journey from the coal cellar i looked two more pieces of bone lay beside the one i had seen extracted and presently referring to the thermometer I saw that between the oil-stove and the roaring fire, and the electric radiator, I had raised the room to the temperature he wanted. Soon peering fixedly at the seat of his operation, he felt for her pulse again. "'Not a sign of returning vitality,' he said. "'And I've done all I can. There's nothing more possible that can be devised to restore her.' As he spoke, the zeal of the unrivalled surgeon relaxed, and with a sigh and a shrug, He rose to his feet and mopped his face then suddenly the fire and eagerness blazed there again the gramophone He said the speech center is close to where I've been working and it is quite uninjured Good heavens. What a wonderful opportunity She served me well living and she shall serve me dead And I can stimulate the motor nerve center too with the second battery. We may see a new wonder tonight Some qualm of horror shook me. No, don't, I said. It's terrible. She's just dead. I shall go if you do. But I have got exactly all the conditions I have long been wanting, said he, and I simply can't spare you. You must be witness. I must have a witness. Why, man, there's not a surgeon or a physiologist in the kingdom who will not give an eye or an ear to be in your place now she's dead i pledge you my honour on that and it's grand to be dead if you can help the living once again in a far fiercer struggle horror and the intensest curiosity strove together in me be quick then said i ah that's right exclaimed horton help me lift her on to the table by the gramophone the cushion too i can get at the place more easily with her head a little raised He turned on the battery, and with the movable light close beside him, brilliantly illuminating what he sought, he inserted the needle of the gramophone into the jagged aperture in her skull. For a few minutes, as he groped and explored there, there was silence, and then quite suddenly Mrs. Gabriel's voice, clear and unmistakable, and of the normal loudness of human speech, issued from the trumpet
2: yes i always said that i'd be even with him came the articulated syllables he used to knock me about he did when he came home drunk and often i was black and blue with bruises but i'll give him a redness for the black and blue
1: the record grew blurred instead of articulate words there came from it a gobbling noise by degrees that cleared and we were listening to some dreadful suppressed sort of laughter hideous to hear on and on it went i've got into some sort of rut said horton she must have laughed a lot to herself for a long time we got nothing more except the repetition of the words we had already heard and the sound of that suppressed laughter then horton drew towards him the second battery i'll try a stimulation on the motor nerve centers he said watch her face he propped the gramophone needle in position and inserted into the fractured skull the two poles of the second battery moving them about there very carefully and as i watched her face i saw with a freezing horror that her lips were beginning to move her mouth's moving i cried she can't be dead he peered into her face nonsense he said that's only the stimulus from the current she's been dead half an hour ah what's coming now the lips lengthened into a smile the lower jaw dropped and from her mouth came the laughter we had heard just now through the gramophone and then the dead mouth spoke with a mumble of unintelligible words a bubbling torrent of incoherent syllables i'll turn the full current on he said the head jerked and raised itself the lips struggled for utterance and suddenly she spoke swiftly and distinctly
2: just when he'd got his razor out i came up behind him and i put my hand over his face and bent his neck back over his chair with all my strength and i picked up his razor and with one slip (laughs) ha that was the way to pay him out and i didn't lose my head but i lathered his chin well and put the razor in his hand and left him there and went downstairs and cooked his dinner for him And then an hour afterwards, as he didn't come down, up I went to see what kept him. It was a nasty cut in his neck that kept him. Horton
1: suddenly threw the two poles of the battery from her head, and even in the middle of her word the mouth ceased working and lay rigid and open. By God, he said, there's a tale for dead lips to tell, but we'll get more yet. Exactly what happened then. I never knew. It appeared to me that as he still leaned over the table with the two poles of the battery in his hand, his foot slipped, and he fell forward across it. There came a sharp crack and a flash of blue dazzling light, and there he lay face downwards, with arms that just stirred and quivered. With his fall, the two poles that must momentarily have come into contact with his hand were jerked away again, and I lifted him and laid him on the floor but his lips as well as those of the dead woman had spoken for the last time the end of section one